Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. chosen one to host the show, but hosting is a full-time commitment, and he's been a little distracted lately. Trinity. See what I'm talking about? Listen here, you beautiful bitch, I'm about to fuck you up with some truth. Watch the sass, Captain Sassy Pants. Yeah, you're kind of spazzing out, dude. You haven't answered my question. Yes, I did. You see, what You I... haven't answered my... I'm trying. You just need to let me talk. Why am I here? You shut up. You won't let it. No, you won't let it! I'm the one who talks! Okay, mouth shut! Ears open! You haven't had You do not want to see me get out of this chair! What's going on, everybody out there in podcast land? You have once again reached the airwaves of the greatest podcast to broadcast from a spare bedroom in northern Wyoming. Yes, you have reached... Strange things are afoot at the Circle K with me, your illustrious host, Johnny Motherfucking Doe. How's it going, everybody? I hope you're doing well. I am not because um, I'm extremely tired. Now, I'm going to get right into the podcast. Uh, none of this official, unofficial sponsor bullshit today because uh, I'm on a, uh, I have a, a limited time window. Uh, because I'm tired. I only got about two hours sleep last night, and I'm going to explain why during this podcast. So <clears throat> so uh, let's get right into it. So my uh, wife's birthday is tomorrow. And so in my infinite wisdom, I decided for a birthday present, um, I would get her something that is not only good for her, but good for me. <laughs> I'm one of those type of givers that I like to give gifts that I also get to benefit from. Like, hey, sweetheart, here's a new car. Oh, can I drive it? <laughs> I'm that kind of guy. That's why I don't do rings and things like that. <clears throat> anyway, so you're about to find out why I'm kind of mellow and low-key on this podcast. Because I decided to buy my wife a puppy. Oh, Lord. So, my wife is dog lover, as am I. If you're an avid listener to this podcast, you know we have two bulldogs. And I love my bulldogs more than life itself. I really do. Uh, but the breed is is definitely my favorite breed, but there's a lot of health issues in the breed. Um, and there's certain things you can't do with the bulldog. And uh, long story short, where do you have two bulldogs? So... <clears throat> We know if we get another bulldog, of course, it's going to have its own unique personality, but there's certain things that you can be pretty guaranteed that's going to happen with that breed that are just tendencies in every breed. Um, and bulldogs are not the exception. So we wanted something a little bit different, a different type of challenge. And my wife's never had a puppy before. <clears throat> so we were researching, oh, about a year ago, actually, we started researching other dog breeds, just trying to see what other dog breeds that um, 
are out there that she might be interested in. Now, I've had various breeds. I've had dogs pretty much my whole life, but really the bulldogs that we have right now are my wife's first dogs that she's ever had. So she's not real familiar with a lot of other breeds and she's never had a puppy. So she always talked about um, how much she loved our our boys and how she kind of feels like she missed out because she didn't get to kind of see the puppy years. Uh, she didn't get to see them as puppies because one we got when he was five, he's now 11. Another one we got when he was like a year and a half and he's now about to turn six. So, um, <clears throat> you know, not um, all the uh, <laughs> trials and tribulations of a puppy. I will tell you this. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and spoil the story. Um, uh, she's not sure if, uh, you know, puppy life's for her. <laughs> Puppy life's tough. So here, let me preface it with this. So I was telling somebody about um, what I'm about to talk about. It was just the the challenges of having a puppy in your house. And he said that he cited this story and referred me to it that showed that having a puppy is, is much harder than having a newborn child. And I will definitely vouch for that. Okay. And I was at first, I was like, there's no way. And he's like, well, do you get up in the middle of the night? And I was like, yeah, I got to get up like three or four times a night to let this dog out. Um, so it doesn't shit all over the place. And she, he's like, well, you don't have to do that. You know, you, you get up with a kid and you change his diaper and you, you know, so you're already doing that. So it's like, that's, that's even. Okay. And he's like, but if you have a kid, it doesn't shit all over the place. It doesn't chew up your furniture. It doesn't steal your shoes. It doesn't uh, dig its way out of the backyard. It doesn't, uh, you know, require near as much attention. Um, you don't have to confine it and check on it periodically. And, and uh, you know, you, yes, you have to um, do all those things with a kid, you know, keep it safe and make sure it's eating healthy and, you know, take it to the doctor and, and uh, get it dressed and, you know, let it suckle your bosoms. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a puppy, you're pretty much doing all that stuff except the suckling part. But, I mean, they're chewing on you. They're biting you. They're tearing up shit. They're pissing in your house. Um, yeah, it's been kind of a nightmare. I'm not going to lie. I've had a puppy before, so I kind of knew what I was getting into. And I warned my wife, but, you know, you never really know until you do it. So I'm extremely exhausted because... Really, that a couple nights before he was sleeping through the night, and so here's here's the setup. Here's here's how it worked. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and start this story from the beginning. So we were researching dogs uh, about a year ago and trying to figure out what dog breed we wanted. So and we through a lot of research, there's a lot of different breeds that we wanted, but we kept coming back to the different mastiff breeds, uh, specifically the Italian mastiff, which is known as the Cane Corso. Now, Connie Corsos are kind of a rare breed. You don't see them very often. and um, But I really liked all the the personality traits that the dog has, the size of the dog. <sighs> I'm not going to hide that yawn. <laughs> I am beat. Um, it's 2 in the afternoon. And it feels like uh, I'm about to pass out. So <clears throat> stick with me, people. Come on. I can get through this. You can get through this. So Cane Corso is what we, we kept coming back to. We liked the temperament of the breed. We liked the trainability, the intelligence, the size. 
and the challenges. I'm one of those people, if you listen to this podcast, you know I like challenges and I don't want something that's easy. Uh, a golden retriever, uh, as far as dogs go, is kind of easy. Um, lab, I've had a black lab. The puppies are extremely tough, but if you train them, they're easy going dogs. But I wanted a dog that presented some challenges, but not so much that it would intimidate my wife, uh, but it would be a good puppy experience for my wife. So I researched uh, breeders and things like that and found some that were, you know, within driving distance, like a day's drive. And then there's a couple that were closer. Well, last year when I started researching, I talked to a couple of breeders and reached out to see how much they cost and just learning a little bit about the process and the breed and kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, it really wasn't a good time for us to get a dog. Um, we're thinking about trying to get one like right before Christmas because my wife was going to be off for a couple weeks and it, that'd be a perfect time to, you know, kind of get the dog broken in and raise it before you have to leave it alone and all that stuff. Um, but it just wasn't good timing. So we said, okay, it's probably best that we wait for spring. So <clears throat> when my, my wife's school teacher, so as soon as school lets out, then she can be with the, with the dog all day long. Because I'm not one of those people that like to get a dog and then just keep it locked up or keep it, stick it in the backyard and and, and call it good. You, you have a certain responsibility as a dog owner. So, <clears throat> anywho, so I was like, okay, let's wait for school to be up. So, we're getting close to that, right? Well, my wife's birthday is coming up and like an idiot, I'm looking at Facebook and looking at the, the different breeders that I follow and stuff. And I noticed that one of the breeders that's closest to us, about a two-hour drive, they just had not only a litter of puppy, but their last litter of puppies that they're going to have. They're not breeding their dogs anymore. And the next closest breeder is like nine hours away. So I was like, oh, man, they're not getting any more puppies. They got this last. They got like six more. And I was like, oh, shit. So, and I started talking to them, and all of a sudden, you know, they had a really good price and they have not only a good price, but like, you know, the health guarantee, the 24 month health guarantee, already had some of its shots and health check and reputable breeder with parents on site. I mean, everything that you would check the block when you're looking for a dog with papers. And now I know it sounds pretentious. To, uh, let me fill people in. People always ask, well, what's my mom says this all the time. Why would you pay thousands of dollars for a dog when you can go get one at a shelter? Well, Two reasons. One, um, uh, you want a pedigree, okay? Uh, with a pedigree, what means that uh, the dog, you have certain things that are known factors. You know, you know the genetic history. You know the temperament uh, of the dog because you can see the temperament of the parents and you, you kind of know at least the nature uh, portion. Not only does it uh, a reputable breeder... Um, only breed dogs that they should be breeding, uh, but you can check the bloodlines and you can do what's called a health inspection where they take it to the vet and they can determine if that dog is has hip dysplasia or any hereditary diseases, do all kinds of tests and all that stuff. So you kind of, it's like buying a new car, essentially. <clears throat> um, and of course, if you get a puppy, um, the nurture portion comes in more if you have good nature then if you have good training then you're going to end up having a good dog so you take a lot of variables out of out of the equation then there's certain traits that you can kind of 
um, look for in certain breeds and things like that. And you can kind of make sure, hey, I'm comfortable with a, let's say, uh, basset hound more than a Rottweiler. Well, sometimes when you get a mutt, you don't have no idea what his temperament's going to be because you don't know what the dog even is. Um, as far as not even as far as a nurture standpoint, but a nature. Okay. And number two is the nurture standpoint where when you go to a shelter, a lot of times they're older dogs, dogs that have been, uh, abused and, and I'm not, you know, listen, you heard me, uh, talk about my bulldogs. One was five years old and one was a year and a half. They're both rescues. Okay. Because uh, one thing about bulldogs is, um, like any other dog, people bite off more than they can chew and they don't know what to do with those dogs. Uh, they, they think it's going to be one thing and they realize it's more of a challenge. Bulldogs are extremely stubborn. So you're going to see a lot of rescue bulldogs because people, and they're extremely expensive to maintain. They have a lot of health issues, yada, yada, yada. So I've rescued dogs before. Okay. So, uh, not, not that I have to justify anything to you people, but I'm just saying, just kind of given the, the, uh, apples and oranges comparison. So so when I was telling my mom, because she rescued a dog once and it was a complete fucking batshit crazy dog that I had to live with that was biting everybody and and uh, later got a bunch of diseases and died anyway, um, you know, you just have a little bit more control over the dog, okay? It's like the difference between adopting a kid uh, at six months old and adopting a kid at, you know, age 13, <laughs> you know? So... Uh, we decided to go that route because, and I do like purebred dogs. There's there's something cool about the history of of purebred dogs and what they were bred to do, and you kind of see that lineage. And I don't know, I'm just into into different dog breeds. Uh, so um, there's that. So I have nothing against a shelter dog. I was looking at shelter dogs too, but um, you just, especially when you're bringing a dog into your home, it when you already have dogs it's very hard to integrate a, another older dog. Um, I've already done that and it's not easy. It's a lot easier to integrate a puppy and, and kind of uh, teach it and and uh, have the other dogs in your house not feel as threatened. So anyway, so we decided to go with a breeder and to me it's worth the money to have the those known factors. And this one was a, a really good price for a Connick Corso. Connick Corso puppies can can definitely go over, you know, $2,500, $3,000. And, and I got it for like, you know, I'm not going to say what, $1,000. But anyway, <clears throat> it was a really good deal. So, and it was a close drive. So we saw that these puppies were available. My wife's birthday's not for a week. And school doesn't let out for another six weeks at the time. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, so I was like, well, maybe we can put down a deposit and have them wait. And they weren't having that. They're like, hey, once these puppies are gone, they're gone. So like a dumbass, I said, okay, honey, let's go drive up there and just look at them. <laughs> oh, I brought my thousand bucks with me, but I'm just looking, right? Well, you know, of course, that's game over. You know, it's like me going to test drive my dream car. Of course, I'm going to leave with it. So <clears throat> long story short, we got the one, actually the one we were going to get, we were going to get a female, but we got up there and one of the males just stole our heart and he was so big and he's going to be a big boy. So we decided to go with the male just because we already have two male dogs and uh, integrating male dogs are, um, can, can be its own challenge, but both my dogs are fixed 
And so, and this one's a puppy, so we knew it'd be a lot easier. Uh, throwing a female in the mix um, can be uh, easy. Well, you know, it's it's six one half dozen of the other. So we just decided to go with the male. So anyway, so we're driving home with his dog and uh, two hour drive home. Doesn't like car rides. You know, it's a brand new puppy. It's 11 weeks old. So we get home and, you know, the dog is like every other puppy, uh, you know, Stage one is just getting him to know his new environment, getting him to know us. And then, of course, we had two other dogs. So there's a lot of growing pains in the first two or three days. Now, I can tell you it went a lot better than I thought it was going to go. But it was still a struggle. I decided to turn my garage from a fitness slash workout room into a dog kennel. So basically, he's got his own little um, kennel, but... He also has like a play area and it's a place that um, if he has an accident, you know, I don't give a shit. It's my garage floor. And I have uh, like like the spongy workout mats real easy to clean up. So I was like, okay, that's where he can stay. Well, he still wasn't kind of integrated into, you know, he doesn't know where the hell he was. So I needed to stay with him. So I decided to sleep in the garage the first night and then it turned into the second night and the third night. And so... Really, for the past week, I've been sleeping on an air mattress in the garage with this dog just so, you know, most puppies, they can only make it about, you know, four hours maybe before they have to um, pee or poop or something. So I'm a real light sleeper. Um, One of the, you know, awesome gifts that the Army keeps giving (laughs) throughout your life is you become a light sleeper when you're in the infantry. So anyway, uh, anytime he would wake up, I would wake up. And so... When he was sniffing around and find a place to go to the bathroom, it's real easy to get get up with him. And if you've ever potty trained a dog, you know how important it is just to get in that routine where it just knows where to go and where not to go. Not even about you know the whole archaic practice of rubbing a dog's nose in it. That just doesn't work. You have to get it to associate, I got to go to the bathroom, so I need to go to the back door or whatever. Now, we do have a dog door in my house. But, you know, trying to train him to use the dog door and making sure that he uses it is completely different. Because uh, if you just give him access to it, he might still decide to go on the carpet or whatever else. So my goal was to have him have his accidents in the garage, not so much in the rest of our house. Because I have a new house. I don't want it smelling like uh, dog piss. And what's awesome about my two bulldogs now is uh, they don't have any accidents or anything like that. Um, they're... You know, especially my oldest one has an iron bladder. So anyway, so we're getting this dog integrated more slowly starting. You know, it's it's definitely comfortable now. It's comfortable with its brothers. It's comfortable with my wife and myself. Uh, we started its leash training. We started um, socializing it, taking it out, putting it in the car, taking it on walks. So it's a slow process, but in that process... Um, you know, of course, take some sacrifice. Uh, you're waking up earlier. You're going to bed later. You're just spending a lot of time with the dog. You can't really ignore it. I have a backyard fenced in and stuff, but the dog found a way to get out, you know, because it's small. It's a little puppy. So then I had to go to Home Depot and buy a whole bunch of two-by-fours and, and block up all the spots under our fence that he could get out. Um. And then last night, so last night I laid down with him and, it, you know, it was Saturday night. So I was like, I'm going to stay up late, play some games. He was just chilling on the couch with me. 
And I decided, okay, let's go to bed about midnight. So I already stayed up late last night. And one, it was a real bad windstorm here in Wyoming. And sleeping in a garage when it's super windy, it's just super loud. Um, That was one. Number two, my dog got into something. I don't know what it was, but he had diarrhea all night. So he didn't have any accidents in the house, even though he shit like six times last night. But he got up a lot. And so when he woke up, I got up with him, made sure he went outside. And so every couple hours, he was waking up. And of course, it took me a while to get back to bed. And sometimes he wanted to play and all that other stuff. So I got maybe two and a half hours sleep last night. So I'm very, very, I got kind of have that sleep deprivation headache and all that good stuff. My mind is definitely not working optimally. Okay, I'm I, I'm in the fog right now is what I call it. Just everything feels foggy. <clears throat> and I haven't really slept a lot in the last week. You know, I've slept more in the last, you know, three days than I did, you know, the, the first three days I had in the puppy. But boy, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a slow process. But I can tell you this, if you've never had dogs, training a dog is a commitment, which means, you know, people always think, oh, it's going to be housebroken in a week or two or you train it, you give it a treat, tell it to sit, roll over. And it's, it takes weeks and months, depending on what you're trying to train, months and months. And then you have to really sustain that over the dog's lifespan. You can't just go, okay, it's trained and not do it anymore. It's just like anything else. If you take uh, Taekwondo and you train every day for you know, six or seven years and finally get your black belt, you can't just stop and then say, well, I'm still at a black belt level. No, you got to continue to train. And if you stop training, then your skills are going to diminish. But if you keep training, then your skills are going to either sustain or even improve. And so uh, we're still in the process of teaching him stuff, obviously, but it's a long road. Some dogs are easy to train, some are hard, um, but there's just, you know, there's there's no shortcut to it, unless you're rich and you have like a dog handler and a personal tra- and a trainer that comes over to your house and stuff like that. But if you're doing it yourself, it takes time. So one of the sacrifices I had to make is, you know, luckily my job is very flexible. I am an active duty military member, but the, because of my job, I can kind of, as long as I don't have any appointments or anything, I can go home uh, for you know 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Cause I need to live eight minutes from my office. So I'll go home like four times a day, just checking on the dog, letting him out, letting him, you know, go outside. But if not, I keep him confined to the garage, not in the, not in the kennel yet, because he hasn't officially started his kennel training. Um, you know, just kind of a rule of thumb. You don't want to traumatize the dog by keeping him locked in a kennel, um, when he's still trying to get to know his surroundings and all that other stuff. So just letting him kind of chill in the garage. He's doing pretty good, but, um, you know, I come home and there's some accidents in there. I got to clean up, but, um, it's, it's, it's a struggle, but what I'm trying to do is make sure that he knows, Hey, every couple hours, someone's coming home. So he doesn't freak out. So I got him to the point where I can walk out of the garage and he doesn't freak out. He knows I'm coming back eventually. And that that's goal. Number one is just get them where they don't whine at the door. As soon as you walk out the door right now, he's there, you know, first couple of days, it was a struggle, but he's there. Um, so, you know, that's been taking up a lot of time and because of it, um, kind of the next subject I want to talk about is, you know, my personal growth challenge, my personal growth challenge. I was doing really, really well, you know, probably about a two months training in, in, um, I was running, you know, 
20 plus miles a week. Uh, on my long days, I was up to 17, 18 miles uh, in one run. Um, I'm not going to say it was always easy because it was, you know, the long, long run days were always a struggle. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, I was still accomplishing it. Well, once I got this puppy, you know, working on three hours sleep a night, um, and of course, you're just so busy running around with the dog, you just lose time to be able to go out and run for an hour, two hours, or on my long days, three and a half hours, four hours is what you end up being gone when you're talking about workout and recovery and everything else. So I just don't have, didn't have the time. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is, is setbacks. And sometimes life gives you a big fat L. Okay, sometimes you got to take the L. You're not always going to win. And I can tell you right now, I've, uh, you know, when I first ran 17 miles and I was like, wow, that's the farthest I've ever ran and what an accomplishment. And then a week later, I'm not even running anymore. It's real easy to get in your own head and, and, and start thinking about finding a way out and quitting and, and justifying it, saying, hey, I got this new dog now. I want to spend time with my wife, spend time with the dog, train it right. I don't have time to do this. I bit off more than I can chew. And sometimes you have to take a step back. But there's other times that you're looking for an excuse to take a step back because it's too hard to keep going forward. And I think that's where I'm at now. By no means is this an excuse for me to stop running. Or I should say it is an excuse. It's not a reason. Okay, it's an excuse right now. But I can keep running and I can keep um, chasing after my goal. I just, it's okay to take a little break, which I did, but I need to get back up on the horse. So right now is me trying to, you know, I'm looking at my schedule, my work schedule is starting to get really, really busy during the summer months. And uh, now my mother-in-law, <laughs> get this, my mother-in-law um, who never comes in to visit, decided she wants to come to visit the same weekend that I'm doing my race. <laughs> So it's like, oh, okay. Um, so just there's just a lot of uh, a lot of things that sometimes that's life almost like tempting you to quit. Going, hey, here's another struggle. Here's another thing for you to contemplate. Here's another stressor. Let's see you deal with it. And you know, running this race or doing any kind of personal growth challenge or doing anything to better yourself, you're going to have struggles. You're going to have days where you lose. And then last week, I definitely took an L when it came to that. But it's just like a war. There's certain battles that you lose. Every war that you look at, uh, whatever side that you're looking at, they, they took an L at some point. And sometimes that's important. Sometimes that leads to later victories because you learn a lot from that. And so that's where I'm at right now is, okay, it's not necessarily something to learn, but I'm using it. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to use it to reset my mind, let my body rest up because I did have a couple little nagging injuries. So I was like, cool, I can let myself rest up and then get back in it and really kind of assess where I'm at from there and and um, kind of have um, mitigate the burnout factor a little bit. So what I'm trying to say is don't quit when you take that L reevaluate, reconsolidate, reengage, and then when you do, um, maybe come at it from a different angle and uh, make it into a, a 
built-in rest plan and say, okay, that was by design. Um, and it's okay. It's okay to take a step back. So I know that I'm going to, it's going to be a struggle getting back into it after not running for a week when you're used to running 20 a week, uh, 20 plus at this point. So I'll get there though. Okay. Um, I just wanted to kind of mention that. All right. Mention that life will give you the L. Now, what I also did this, this last week is I worked a job fair and, uh, you know, when I work these job fairs and I try to get uh, kids to see the benefit of military service, most of them don't. But one thing that I do um, like to do at these job fairs is walk around and look at today's generation. And uh, it's, it's interesting because I, you see other people looking for a job that aren't part of today's generation. You see people um, that, you know, grew up in my generation where even at a job fair, they're dressed to impress. They have printed resumes and a little briefcase or a little portfolio case. And when they greet somebody, they walk up, shake their hand, hand them a one-page resume and introduce themselves and ask about their company. Um, And then I saw, you, you see the losers of every generation that just never figured just that out, the basics. Well, now you see the new generation and I'm not, I shouldn't even say the new generation. Um, a lot of millennials, not even the new generation, the new generation, really the top age is like 17. These are like your 19, 20, 21, 23 year old, stuff like that. Definitely, um, the millennials, I swear to God, this girl's looking for a job, and I swear to God, she was in pajama pants, at a f- <laughs> talking to people about jobs at a job fair. Yeah, and I saw countless dudes with baseball caps, with giant gauges in their ears, baggy fucking shorts, tennis shoes. I didn't see one person that wasn't dressed looking like that they they were just casual. They didn't even look like they're going to like a nightclub or going out on a date where they had their best like casual clothes on. They just looked like they had they rolled out of bed, threw a t-shirt and jeans on and came to the fucking job fair. And I think about that when I say sometimes life gives you the L and sometimes people like this think that life's giving them an L. It's like no, life isn't doing this, you're doing this. You're giving yourself the L. So these people are losers by design. Now, I've said on this podcast before, um, there's no such thing as losers unless you've quit, unless your life is over. Because loser means you're done. You've, you've done lost. There's no way to undo a loss. You can try to win again, but you've already lost. I always say people are losing. Well, a lot of these are losers because they just decide that they don't want to play the game. And so I'm talking to somebody, um, of course, they're going to remain nameless, but I'm talking to someone, I I have a lot of people ask me for advice, uh, or some people not even ask for advice that through just normal conversation, I end up giving them a a piece of advice. That's essentially what this podcast is about, because I don't have enough of those people. Uh, Because when you talk to Johnny Doe, uh, those of you out there that have talked to me or that know me. Uh, there's a few listeners out there that actually know me personally. Um, I'm not never going to tell you what you want to hear. And I'm not 
you know, sometimes people say that and they, they act like it's a license to be a dickhead. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying um, there's certain glaring things, like if that girl in their pajama pants, I would just tell you I would never hire you wearing those pajama pants. I wouldn't sugarcoat it. And a lot of people, you can tell they're just not used to hearing someone just be brutally honest. I don't even want to say brutally honest, just honest. Just, hey, this is what I see. Go fix it. So I'm talking with this person. We're, we're talking about goals. I was talking about my personal growth challenge. I was talking about some other things that I have. And they were talking about uh, some of their goals. They're wanting to lose weight, get more act, be more active. And this is an older person. And they said, uh, I can't seem to mo- keep myself motivated. And I said, okay. And I said, well, I can tell you right now what the problem is. And they said, what? And I said, well, what's your goal? Well, what do you mean? Well, I just want to move more. And I said, that's not a goal. Okay, that, that's, that's going to be the end result, but that's not a goal. Okay, a goal is something that keeps you accountable every single day. Because what does that mean? I just want to move more. I just want to be more active. That's kind of an ambiguous thing. It's kind of open-ended. It's not specific. When you make a goal, it has to be very specific. And not only is it specific, but it's got to be a three-tier goal. It has to be a long-term goal, a mid-term goal, and a short-term goal. And uh, your short-term and mid-term goal, of course, build toward your long-term goal. But you have to make that reverse plan and you have to, you have to plan it out uh, um, from back to front. Meaning you start with, begin with the end in mind and go all the way back till, till right now. So you go, okay, what do I need to do right now? So I always use, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing this personal growth challenge for running is because, you know, one, I hate running, but two, it's a perfect way to uh, show the methodology of making a goal. You start with a long-term goal and then you reverse plan to what do I need to do today to prepare for that? So you're thinking running a 32 mile race, you just don't start running 32 miles. You start with running one mile. And then you slowly increase that until, you know, I was hitting my 17 miles, which is more than halfway through that race. So by the end, um, you know, you can run that 32 miles, but you're holding yourself accountable every single day, always kind of peeking around the corner and looking at that long-term goal, reminding yourself why you're doing this in the first place. But you have those short-term goals. You don't even, so when I go out and run, I don't focus on the long-term goal. I focus on the goal that's right in front of me. So if that's a 10-mile day or a two-mile as fast as I can or a 17-mile uh, just getting through it sort of race, that is my goal. And I'm, and I'm remembering what my long-term goal is because that's the why, but I don't really focus on it. I just remember it. And you focus on today. And if you keep focusing on today, one day you'll wake up and that long-term goal is staring you right in the face. So I'm telling this person, well, that's your problem is you don't have a goal. Well, what's your goal? And they're like, you know, him hawing around and stuff. And I said, well, you need to make a goal, same thing, back to front, uh, long-term, midterm, short-term. And, th- and this is what the person said. Well, I guess I just don't care that much. Well, you don't care about what? Why well, don't care about achieving anything? Well, you don't. Okay, why did? Okay, let me start with this. Why? Why were you wanting to move more and get in better shape and lose weight? Well, so I feel better, and so I just don't feel so lazy. Okay. Well, so you don't care about that? Well, I do care, but not enough to actually to make a goal. And I go, okay, right there. Um, that's where life doesn't give you the L. You gave yourself the L. You disqualified yourself. You showed up to the game with no helmet. 
you showed up with not enough people to play. You showed up uh, with with the wrong gear. Um, you didn't show up on time or you just didn't show up at all. My point is you lost by default. And so that's, that's not life giving you the L. That's you taking the L and taking the easy way out and letting fear dictate. Because what happens is we start with the why. So you go, okay, why am I doing this? And if that why is is strong enough, then you'll make a goal, Okay. Well, if the why is not strong enough, then either A, it's not a, um, a goal worth fighting for, um, B, you don't think it's attainable, or C, you're scared. Okay, either one, it's, it's not worth it to you, two, you don't think it's attainable, or three, uh, it's just fear. And so the latter category was with this person I was talking to is just fear is they are afraid of holding themselves accountable because they know they're going to take the L. They know that they don't have what it takes to achieve this goal because especially when it comes um, working out and losing weight and eating right, there's so much accountability on you because no one can put the food in your mouth for you. No one, you can have a personal trainer, you can have a dietitian, but if you don't follow that stuff, it's never going to do anything for you. taking a drink of water. Today's a water day. (laughs) I already had a NOS and some coffee, but um, definitely dehydrated. Anyway, so what I was saying is those those type of personal goals, kind of like me, no one's going to run for me. And so it's it's very uh, daunting because you know no one's holding you accountable. Uh, You getting your college degree is a lot easier because there's so many people, you're in an environment where everyone's trying to do the exact same thing. Um, but when you're sitting at home watching your favorite TV show and you want that half gallon of ice cream or want some cookies or it's time to go run and, and it's cold and raining, like, uh, by the way, my last 17 mile run, it fucking was 48 degrees and raining, cold ass rain. And it sucked. And it did that for like the first five miles. And then I ran in wet clothes for the uh, for another like 12 miles, okay? So no one says it's gonna be easy. But my point is that when you're sitting uh, home alone and you know you should be working out or eating better, no one's there to slap that cookie out of your fucking, your meaty ass fat fingers. They're, it's just you. And that's scary for most people because they know that they are, uh, a victim of their own circumstance and their own weaknesses. And they let their weaknesses take over. And this person I was talking to is not young. They're no spring chicken. And I said, you know, you're not getting any younger. At this point, you might only have 20, 30 years left on this planet. What the fuck are you doing? What are you waiting for? And probably the biggest mistake when I talk to people is they're waiting for something to happen in their life. They're waiting and I told this person, I said, you've already had health issues. You already can't move around very much. You're already scared of going over to people's houses that have stairs because you can't hardly walk up. I mean, this person, you know, has um, just bad health and is is pretty overweight. Um, and I said, you know, you didn't get that weight overnight. You know, 10 years ago, you didn't weigh that. So why do you think it's going to go away overnight? It's going to take a substantial amount of work and discipline and sacrifice, but don't act like you can't get there. It's a simple math equation. It just takes some discipline. And uh, 
But right now, they are willing to sacrifice that for the comfort of doing whatever they want when they want. And so, and this person will be in the category that I I can already see it coming, that uh, they're going to have some health problems and they're going to have to, well, they've already have, this person was wants a knee surgery because has a really bad knee. Doctor said, you need to lose significant amount of weight. But they said, hey, we'll do the surgery if you can lose at least like 40 pounds. Not even like 100 pounds, but 40 pounds. And this person wasn't even willing to do that. It's like, so I guess your knee's not hurting that bad if if you're not willing to make a sacrifice. I mean, how awesome is it that someone says, hey, I'm going to help you with what you need done, this this fix, but I need you to, to meet me part of the way. And uh, when people can't do that, that's scary to me. Okay, that's scary because... I know that person lives within me and it also lives within every other human being. And those that's what we fight every single day. That thing in you is wanting to give you the L. That's its goal is, is to give you the L and not only give you the L, but get you comfortable where you just think that's just life. Life just, you, you just live with the L. And I've met people like this with in a lot of different categories. I, I talked about in my last podcast, the young lady that quit basic training and doesn't have a job and all that stuff. She's so used to losing. Is she just sees that as life. She just sees life as, and so it's really easy for people to get in that thinking trap of going, well, other people have shit handed to them. Other people have it easy because I find life so difficult. The only way I can rationalize it is it must be super easy for other people. Like, because if, I mean, I can't get through this, so how did anyone get through it? Well, no one gets through it except people that had mommy and daddy give them a million dollars or somebody handed them something. That's their justification. Don't don't ever do that. You know, look, I tend to look at the people that came from worse than me, that have more challenges and that have achieved 20 times what I have. And that that humbles you to go, wow, I, I, I can't ever take an L and think that that I can't bounce back from it or that that's something that I should live with long-term because there's people that have such enormous challenges in their life and it doesn't phase them. Not to the point where they quit. They just, it, it reinvigorates them and it motivates them. I mean, have you ever seen that championship mentality of, of truly, truly elite athletes that when somebody finally gives them some competition, they rise to the occasion? You know, I mean, Michael Jordan was definitely the kind of the, the pinnacle of this, where it's just like he was so dominant when, when, when somebody finally had his number, made him just go to another level. And he worked that much harder and he just would never, he was tenacious. You need to have that about your life and about everything that you do. You don't have to have maybe Michael Jordan's talent, but you definitely need to have his work ethic. See, that's the thing is that, you know, if you believe in God or whatever you believe in, uh, you know, there's certain people that are born with that talent. And if you weren't, I wasn't either. But Michael Jordan was not born with that work ethic. You have the determination 
of that. You can determine how hard you want to work towards something. And this person that needs to lose weight, maybe, you know, they've they've battled weight and health issues their entire life. Maybe genetically they're at a disadvantage, but it doesn't mean that there's not more they can do, especially when I knew this person was a good hundred pounds less six years ago than what they are now. Um, That's just evidence that, hey, this isn't, (laughs) this isn't something that you can't control. This is a hundred percent under your control. There's so many people that were morbidly obese that aren't anymore. And people, vice versa, that were skinny that are now morbidly obese. So you can't sit there and just point at the people that's like, look, they've been fat their whole life and they can't fix it. And look, this person, it's like, that's a loser's mentality. You got to find the the people that are able to defeat that and let that empower you to do the same. So I refuse to take the L when it comes to shit like that. Okay. And it should motivate you to not want to. Now, like I said, life gives everybody the L, but let life give it to you. Let life just kick you in the ass every once in a while. And, uh, you know, you can can work on your resiliency, but don't give yourself the L, all right? And so kind of back to the job fair. I just noticed all these people walking around and uh, they are... They think that they're a step above some of their peer group because at least they're at the job fair because there's people in their peer group that aren't even at the job fair. So even though in their mind, they're not seeing what I'm seeing, they're at the job fair, they're talking to people, I'm getting the, you know, they're thinking to themselves, I'm getting the nerve to go up and talk to these people. This one guy, I swear to God, he, uh, he goes up to the, sitting next to me is a guy that runs a convenience store. And he's like, hey, you ever thought about working in a convenience store? And this guy, you could tell, I mean, I don't know where he fucking works or, but let's just say he doesn't look like uh, he's a fucking uh, curing polio anytime soon. Not the smartest cookie, right? <clears throat> and so this guy goes, well, what do you pay? <laughs> you know, not talking about what he brings to the table. Just what are you going to do for me? Well, we pay like start at like 11.50 an hour or something, which I was thinking to myself, eh, convenience store, huh? okay, not that bad. And he's like, well, I need at least twice that much. <laughs> he, he didn't say why. He didn't say what he brings to the table. Um, and the guy goes, oh, um, he goes, well, only thing we would have that pays that much is, uh, is upper management. Do you have any, uh, any uh, attributes or skills that would uh, put you in line with that kind of position? He's like, yeah, I've been like a boss before and uh, I got like leadership skills and um, uh, what else he say? Um, I've uh, worked a lot of different ch- t- type of jobs and he just, he he didn't even know how to sell himself. He didn't even know what attributes he had. He didn't even know. It's kind of like um, if you talk to a real estate agent and you're like, I'm looking to buy a house and they say what price range and you're just like, nah. Just show me a bunch of houses. They're going to be showing you fucking $900,000 houses, not understanding that you should be looking at a $50,000 fucking mobile home, right? My point is that you have to know kind of what lane that you're in, what qualifications you have, what you can bring to the table and know how to sell yourself and not put yourself in a in a category that's just, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. I can apply for a loan for a million dollar house all I want. I'm never going to get it. So why focus on that? So these people are walking around not realizing that they 
they lack preparation. They did not get their resume together. They did not um, plan, maybe, you know, get a haircut, shave. They did not pick out their best clothes, make sure they're nice and pressed. They look professional. Maybe practice, rehearse. That's what I do. Before I give presentations, I do rehearsals. I'll uh, give the presentation three or four times and time myself and, and um, you know, figure out efficiency of word and words and things like that. Why? Because it makes it, it's easier to prepare. And if I'm giving a presentation where I have like PowerPoint or something like that, if the I'm having some technical difficulties, I can wing it and because I already know the presentation. I'm not having to read it. And so if this these people did like a rehearsal, they kind of learned some basic how to their best attributes, really think about what their answers are going to be, really think about what they're looking for. Employers notice that. They notice, because we all notice the people in the pajama pants. We all notice the people that have the face tattoos that are looking for upper management, right? But that person that comes up has the social acumen to put their hand out. Hi, my name is Chris. Here's my resume. These are the type of jobs that I'm looking for. I would like to know more about your company. This is what makes me a good employee. And not even asking about how much they pay until later on in the conversation where that person goes, yeah, you're kind of what we're looking for. Then you have some kind of negotiating power. Now, maybe they will say, uh, yeah, we start 1130 an hour. It's like, oh, that's that's awesome. You know, I, that's great. But unfortunately, um, the, the job that I'm looking for that I have right now, I get paid $13 an hour. So I'm looking for something that pays a little bit more than that. Maybe that person goes, man, I could probably afford to pay this guy a little bit more. This this guy is, you know, I'd rather have one of these guys than two of the, the people I normally get for 11 bucks an hour. So let me go ahead and give this guy 14 bucks an hour. You know, you never know if this the person you're talking to has the power to do that. And you can't take yourself out of it. One thing I never do is I've never once gone on a job interview. I'll tell you right now, I've never interviewed for a job that I haven't got the job offer. And I've interviewed for jobs that I was grossly unqualified for on paper, but I was not unqualified. And that's the thing is I never take myself out of the fight by, by disqualifying myself. I'm going to let someone else disqualify me because I know when you see a job posting that says a bachelor's degree preferred, what does that say? It says preferred. Now, if it was a fucking doctor, if it was a lawyer, if it was a teacher, a doctor, you have to have a medical degree. You have to have a medical license. A lawyer, you have to have a law degree and you have have a license to practice law and pass the bar, all that good stuff. A teacher, not only do you need to have a degree in that, that content area as a teacher, but you have to be certified in that state. And so those are non-negotiable, which is funny because I got a job as a teacher for two years and I didn't have that. But that's uh, another story for another podcast. But I'm telling you, there's always wiggle room. Even in situations like that, you know, I'm glad I brought the teacher thing because right now in Montana and there, there's small towns that they will hire uncertified teachers on waivers because they're, they're lacking teachers so badly up there. So there's always, there's always a loophole. But my point is this, is when you see something that says, we prefer this, we prefer that, we prefer this. Well, I'll tell you right now, I can get in that interview and I go, hey, uh, I don't have a bachelor's degree, 
but I have uh, some college credits and I did this and I did that, but I have five years of experience and I have this kind of leadership training and I have this. And if you can show a competency that is what they normally see with someone with that degree, but you have it just in work experience, they're gonna take that 100% of the time over a stupid fucking degree. Because anybody can go to school and get a degree. Not anyone can actually show proof of concept that you can actually do the job and do it well and efficiently. So, you know, I am a salesman um, in my job in a lot of respects, but everybody listening to this, if you're looking for other jobs, you need to be a salesman as well. You have to be able to sell yourself. You have to be your biggest fan, not to the point of arrogance like these other people, I need more money. No, you have to be able to articulate what makes you valuable. And if you can articulate that, uh, then you have a chance. Go watch Shark Tank and watch somebody say, give the evaluation of their company and one of the sharks go, oh, that is, you completely overpriced your company. I would never pay that. And by the end, they're walking away with a deal with that shark. Well, because at some point they sold that shark on what their company was about, how much money they can make, proof of concept through salesmanship. So even though somebody goes, sorry, you're not qualified. Sorry, I don't think we want you. You could. There's always another way, another angle that you could resell to them and that they see, yeah, I think we do want this person. Okay, Nothing Nothing in this world on a resume beats confidence, character, uh, presence, professionalism, um, well-spoken demeanor, um, and just being a you know a polished person during the interview. There's 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 people that uh, get interviewed. I do these mock interviews for high school kids, and uh, there's there's kids that will come up and sit next to me, and they don't have a lot on their resume. But just the way they carry themselves, I go, man, I would. I don't even care what it would be. If I was a business owner, I would hire them knowing that they have the professionalism to learn whatever I hired them for. And they, within three months, yeah, there's going to be some growing pains, but they're going to be better than that person that has experience. That person with experience, I don't have to do a lot of training, but in three months, they're still doing the same low level where this other person once they learned, they're already exceeding that level. So it's an investment. You might start lower, but sooner or later, when you cash out, it's going to be more valuable. So you have to be able to sell that. And that's one of the things that I love about buying cars. It's, I actually like going on job interviews because I like that. I like to convince somebody why that I'm the right person. And when I buy a car, I like to negotiate. I like to go back and forth because I know it's a game. I know that they're telling me that my car is worth this and their car is worth this, but I need to sell them on why my car is more valuable. But I can't bullshit them. I have to come with research. I have to prepare. I have to look and say, oh, wow, my car right now that I'm trading in, there's not very many of them for sale in town. And the ones that do go on sale they sell within 10 days and they go for a lot higher price than what this guy's offering. And if you can back that up, trust me, they're going to they're gonna deal with you. But they're not going to just let, bullshit, let you bullshit. You have to come with hard facts and numbers. And so to me, that is what life is about. It's, it's about preparation. And so no matter if I'm talking about like the puppy thing or the person's, you know, the advice that I was giving that person or me taking the L um, meaning I'm, I'm taking a loss on my personal growth challenge, or I'm talking about this job fair. 
if you are prepared, if you prepare yourself for any of those things, you prepare yourself to fail, prepare yourself, um, you know, mentally and physically for any kind of physical endeavor, you make goals, uh, you think about like, you know, I researched getting this puppy a year before I did. So even though it's been challenging, there's been a lot of things that we, that, you know, that we knew were coming. Um, even though we got it about a month earlier than we wanted it, you know, we're making it work. If you prepare, even if you have to modify that plan, even if that plan doesn't go exactly to plan, or even if, you know, there's there's struggles, that preparation um, takes a little bit of pressure off you because it's real easy to kind of shift things to the right or left if you need to. But if you did no preparation, you're just, you're just kind of swinging wildly and hoping something sticks. So whatever you're doing in life, just make sure to prepare. Prepare to win, but you also got to prepare to lose and how to recover from that, okay? So, hey, thank you guys for joining me again on my podcast. Uh, thank you for the support. We are an extremely small podcast. I say we, it's just me, okay? It's me sitting in front of a microphone in front of a computer. This isn't a business. I don't make any money off this. Uh, I really don't promote it. I tweet on Twitter is about all I do, and I don't advertise. I don't do anything. It's all word of mouth. And I really would appreciate it if you guys shared it with, with someone that you think might be interested. I know when I go on Twitter and somebody will retweet, hey, I need podcast recommendations. I always click on the person's profile and I probably shouldn't, but I look at them and I go, yeah, this person didn't want to hear my podcast. <laughs> so I never even tweet a link uh, to the person because I'm like, this podcast isn't for everybody. But the people that like it, uh, they get something out of it. This isn't about my ego. This isn't about me being an expert. This is about me saying that I'm living my life every single day and I have struggles, I have losses, but I have wins too. And and um, I'm an everyday guy. I'm a regular guy that's coming from a regular perspective. And uh, I feel like every single day I feel encouraged and emboldened to make my life just a little bit better than it was when my head hit that pillow the night before. So I just encourage you guys to do the same thing. And and some people need a, a nice little motivational speech or a little kick in the ass. So uh, send them a link to my podcast and hopefully they won't, uh, you know, just download the Dave Ramsey one and think I'm just an asshole. <laughs> By the way, I'm thinking about doing a part three of my Dave Ramsey podcast um, one of my most popular podcasts, by the way, is the Dave Ramsey ones and the Joe Rogan ones. But <clears throat> let me take a drink real quick. Um, yeah, Dave Ramsey, I still listen to him. And he really pissed me off the other day again. And I, I realize I agree with most of what he's saying. It's how he says it. And it's his attitude and, and what he his ideology of how he sees people and his stupid pyramid scheme. His uh, all his advertisers that he has is so fucking gross. And get this, he'll shame people about buying a new car. This is you know, here's a spoiler alert. If I end up doing the new one, well, guess what? He shames people about like spending money, right? And now he's he's offering a cruise where you can go on a cruise with all the like Dave Ramsey people, and it's like a financial seminar, fucking. Cru- it's like, oh, I know exactly what this is. One. You're getting, you're cashing in on your fucking celebrity. You're getting people to pay thousands of dollars so they can hope that maybe they can, you know, find a get rich quick scheme like uh, like you found. And two, 
for you, it's a big tax write-off. You get to do these cruises and it's a business expense. Oh man, what a fucking scam artist this motherfucker is. So I might have to do a, a part three. I can't stand this fucking fool, man. You know, just because he has sound financial advice doesn't mean that uh, philosophically that that's the way you should live your life. That's where my problem is because life is not about dollars and cents. And if you think you're managing your money for God, what a fucking stupid, <laughs> what a stupid fucking thing to say. It's like this. It's like, do you own a four-wheeler? Yes, I own a four-wheeler. So God wanted you to, to buy that four-wheeler? I mean, how's that, how's that work? You know, it's so fucking stupid. Let me tell you right now, if you're listening to this and you actually believe in God, okay, good on you. But if you really think that you are a steward of God's money, then 100% of your fucking paycheck that's not going for your bills better go to feed the fucking hungry and the homeless and charities. And you better not have one fucking red cent that you buy on anything, any fucking pleasure or anything else while there's inhumanity and inhumane practices going on in the world and starving children and and all blah, 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 blah. So it's like, don't give me this horse shit we're managing God's money while you fucking have a $30 million mansion and go on cruises and all this other bullshit. Fuck you, Dave Ramsey. <laughs> okay, I definitely got to do a part three because, man, I get fired up. Okay, well, thank you guys, as always, for the support. And uh, check me out on Twitter, Foot Podcast at Twitter, um, a foot podcast at gmail.com or footpodcast.com, uh, you can website. That's basically just my podcast, but uh, encourage people to check it out. Thank you. As always, be kind to one another. Till next time, peace.